Welcome to the Trinity Grace Church Williamsburg Weekly Update. This is an informal, story-based podcast designed to capture the life of the scattered, yet more unified than ever, church amidst crisis. This is a moment for the church to be the body of Christ in a world of great need. This podcast is designed to empower and equip you to be an active participant in that mission. Enjoy, and thank you for tuning in. Welcome back, my dear brothers and sisters. This is Carlos Feitoza, your pastor of Justice and Mercy, and this is episode 11 of the Weekly Update podcast. I just wanted to fill you in on what you're about to listen to. Heaven to Earth, our series of conversations about worship and race, is back, and this episode is fully dedicated to that. This time, Heaven to Earth is joining forces with Arabon. Arabon is an incredible resource created by David Bailey and Elena Aronson to train and equip churches and communities to become reconciling communities. On this episode, which turned out to be a little longer than usual, but I guarantee you so worth your time and attention, we had the incredible honor to interview David Bailey about Arabon, of course, and to talk about the current climate we find ourselves in as a nation at the moment. More info about this next installment of Heaven to Earth and how to join will be shared by Janice, one of our leaders, right after the interview. And of course, you can always find everything else on our website, tgcwilliamsburg.com. Shalom and stay tuned. Welcome, friends. I'm here with my friend, David Bailey. David, how you doing, brother? Hey, man, so good to uh, be here. Thanks for inviting me to be a part of this. Of course. So David uh, runs an organization called Arabon that resources the church when it comes to conversations on race and the kingdom of God. Uh, I've had the pleasure of hearing him teach and have been super blessed by it. And we are about to be using... Uh, his resources and his teaching over the next six weeks as we begin another heaven to earth conversation. So all of that was planned and in the works prior to um, the loss of George Floyd's life and all of the events that have transpired since then. So it seems like what we had planned is uh, more timely than ever. And even this conversation with David is more timely than ever. So David, I think it might be helpful for you first, just to give some context for who you are, as I'm really the only person who will be familiar <laughs> with you. So can you just tell us, you know, where you live, what you do, uh, what your family's like, just introduce yourself to us. Yeah, man. Well, again, thanks again for having me. And it's been good, um, you know, just developing a friendship my wife and I developing with you. And um, man, so I'm from Richmond, Virginia, uh, Richmond, uh, is what was known as the capital of the Confederacy. And uh, one of the things that I hope happens is that we become the capital of reconciliation. Um, you know, the ministry of reconciliation, I think in many ways I say, like I didn't really choose it, it chose me. Uh, my, my parents were really involved in a lot of urban suburban partnerships. Uh, we grew up in the suburbs, but I, I lived in the suburbs uh, growing up, but our church was literally in the housing projects. And so we crossed a lot of um, um, not only racial ethnic, boundaries but we also cross a lot of economic boundaries and so it just kind of made me like fluent within a lot of different cultures and um you know i started working as a musician and uh really at a really young age like i started doing gigs at 14 and it opened my world to a lot of different cultures and um when i was in college i would play like the country club on friday night and saturday i would play like the uh, outreach ministry like in our inner city church on Saturday afternoon and do a jazz club with like kind of like that kind of black bougie crowd and then you know Sunday morning I might do the uh, uh, Presbyterian like church as like the piano organist and then I would do the Pentecostal church at in the afternoon and and do the international church for the evening service and I basically uh, want to let you know that uh, when you're young you have a lot of energy and you can do a lot of stuff like that <laughs> But yeah, to, <laughs> but two, you know, you cross all these different cultures, you know, and um, off the top, say it this way: what makes somebody dance at the country club is different than what makes somebody dance at the 
uh, Black Pentecostal church, which is different. They may somebody sway at the Presbyterian church. And yeah, swaying is about as far as they go at the Presbyterian <laughs> church. You got to play they... some really good music at that point, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, but like learning how to connect with people across differences, like a skill I developed. And my wife said, hey, you know, got to do this. You should start writing and teaching people how to do it. And that's what I started to do. And so a lot, a lot of people say, hey, we do work in racial reconciliation. Um, what we actually say is we help the church become a reconciling community. Mm. And of course, there's issues of race, of issues of race, of class, of culture. Uh, but like our approach of like, what's it like to be a reconciling community is what we're after. Um, because there's so many areas of brokenness and we need to know like as a church how to uh, engage in that space. And so that's the work we we do. Is, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm the founder and leader, but I got a really great team. Um, and particularly like Race Class Kingdom of God, Elena Aronson is a co co author in that and um and yeah, we, we just try to think about what what does the church need to become more of a reconciled community, what are the tools and how can we practically come alongside and provide these tools. Beautiful. Well, as a church leader who's desperately trying to become a reconciling community and I'm pretty sure I'm doing a lot more wrong than right, thank you for the work that you guys do. Uh can you tell me were there any key moments uh, in your own experience that kind of led to the the founding of Erebon? Uh, you know, I know that you shared about having that, like the experience that spanned all these different traditions, but w- were there kind of key moments where you thought, wow, this is a need? And also tell me about the name. Tell me what the name means. Yeah, it's good. Well, the name means a foretaste of things to come. Uh, the way it was used in the old in the, in the New Testament, it's a Greek word that is used says like the Holy Spirit was given to the church as a foretaste of the kingdom of God that's to come. Mm-hmm. Well, the world doesn't get the Holy Spirit. What the world gets is the church. And so we need to be a foretaste of the world of the reconciled kingdom that's to come. This healing mm-hmm. of the nations that that John talked about in Revelation. And so you know, that's, that's the part that we're trying to help folks to do. And, and, you know, you kind of ask, Hey, what was like, I mean, I'm going to kind of rephrase what you asked, but like, what was the catalyst? What was some catalytic moments for us? Yeah. And, um, around 2008, we were part of a church planning team, um, that, um, was the church I'm part of now. It's called Eastern fellowship. And uh, a lot of people were influenced by a guy named Dr. John Perkins. Mm-hmm. And we're doing like Christian community development. It was about a hundred Christians. A lot of them were white, and and there was this um, African American pastor that was in the church for. I mean, that was in this neighborhood. Grew up in the neighborhood that we lived in, and was praying for twenty years that God would send people. He didn't know, first of all, that the people were going to be twenty years his, his uh, younger than him, mm-hmm. and they were majority going to be white. You know. Yeah. But God sent them. I mean, when he started praying, most of us were like six, seven, eight years old. And he was just faithfully praying, you know. And so just in case you're missing the point in that, he was praying for 20 years and God began to to, to send somebody. So I think a lot of times we um, overestimate what we can do in a tweet or even in a year. Mm-hmm. We underestimate what we can do for 10 years or longer, right? And yeah. just being faithful in a space. And so... Uh, so that, that one was free of charge, but I hope folks will take that along. <laughs> but, you know, we, so we started, man, this church and we had this vision of doing like um, this like racially diverse and economically diverse church. And we were failing miserably. Mm-hmm. I mean, failing miserably, man. Like, like, you know, and around 2010, 2011, we, you know, a group of leaders were sitting in a, in a prayer retreat and we realized, you know what, we're trying to, we are having this aspirational values, but we aren't doing things to put these things into practice. And, you know, maybe instead of trying to like kind of preach our way to this way, to this, this practice, like maybe what we should do is try to figure out, like try to learn ourselves and, and try to like implement some practices and, and just figure out how to do this. And then, you know, maybe nine months later, we could try to lead our congregation through a process and, and that's what we did, man. And the church really strengthened and grew by giving us some shared knowledge and language. And that was the seeds of race class and the kingdom of God. Uh, just trying to get some good hooks to get on to begin to do this really challenging and difficult work. But um, I, I would say, I mean, 
people know me now from a national platform, but you know, everything I've learned has literally come out of being in a community of practice in a local context. Yeah. And, and so much of this has come out of failure. Um, but we just kind of stay at it, you know, and, and try to figure out what's, what not to do and what to do. Yeah. Tell me about some of those early practices. Cause I can definitely resonate with the aspirational values and the, the stunning failure um, in trying to express those values. So when you guys turned and looked inward and said, let's try to live this through simple, humble practices, what did that look like in the early days? Well, first of all, I mean, you got to think about this. In 2008, there really wasn't um, a lot of material for people who were like kind of small evangelical, like meaning that, you know, you had a commitment to the scriptures, had a commitment to Christ conversion, mm-hmm. you know, commitment to um, like, like transformation and um, and just kind of real commitment to Jesus. And so you kind of had like what I call, if people talked about racial reconciliation, you had what I call that kumbaya kind of conversation mm-hmm. of, of Jesus. And then uh, you had maybe like some racial social theory by, by the nature of it is not, uh, by nature of being social science is kind of agnostic, right? To, to, to not, not um, Christian necessarily hostile, but it's just like, and I find like in, in the racial social theory, folks who are really committed, they don't use this language, they're really committed to own the level of depth of sin. Mm-hmm. But then in a lot of Christian circles, we had the solution and know what to do with sin, but we didn't want to own the level of depth of sin. And so mm-hmm. there was like a, a, a kind of surface level deal. And so one of the first things we had to do was really um, spend a lot of time trying to understand the theology, the, not only th- like both the history and the theology, you know, and um that that was a lot. You you get a, you'll get some good foundation in that in the race class kingdom of God. Like we said, yeah. the first a couple of sessions is just trying to get some Christian practices in that way. You know, um, since then there's a lot more material out now. I mean, you're talking well, it was like twelve years ago. I mean, there's, there's a lot more material um, that's out now, but um, it wasn't then. And so I think we had to like stumble our way through that. Um, we also just had to like as leaders, we try to be the first to first to repent, you know, the first to um, model and to stumble and to um, ask for forgiveness, you know, um, and, and and be the first to learn, right, and to engage in um, this work. So I think giving people shared knowledge, shared language, shared vision, I think was a really, really important space. And, and I think the last thing I'll say for now is just that we also had like a 10, 20, 30 year, 40 year vision of like, hey, what does it look like for us to stay and to be in this place? And I know like Trent, I, mean, I know like New York is a hard place to be for 10, 20 years. Like, you know, like a major city yeah. like that, like people, people move a lot, you know, and and I imagine a lot of people, there are probably a lot of people in your church right now that aren't even in New York right now because they're like, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the case. I'm going to sh- shelter in place by a beach at my parents' house. Like, you know, but yeah. like, <laughs> right. Uh, but I do think like having a long obedience in the same direction, I think that was another commitment. So we can, I could look back over 12 years and be like, okay, this is how we met God. And this is how we felt miserable. Here's how we've corrected. And, and here's, here's kind of where we're going to the next space. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about what's happening in the world right now for a minute. So just because I have no idea what will be happening in the world at the time people listen to this, it is currently June 2nd at 3.40 p.m. uh, Eastern Standard Time. That's when we're having this discussion. So, yeah, yeah, you know, obviously, I don't know about you. I, I can't remember a moment in our nation's history that felt more uh, racially volatile than Mm. this one does. It really feels like a tipping point moment to me. Yeah. Um, And, you know, given your unique perspective as a person of color, as someone who loves and is devoted to the church and as a leader in reconciliation, can you just kind of take us through your thoughts and emotions right now? Well, um, I'll give you 
two thoughts. I think uh, last night I saw that Rush Limbaugh was on The Breakfast Club, and I said, wow, this must be a really serious issue. You got Rush Limbaugh yeah. on the, like, reaching out, yeah. offering an olive branch, you know? So, uh-huh. so man, that's a whole lot going on right there, you know? Yeah. Um, but then even, like, um, as I was uh, listening to it, like, you had folks from both sides like trying to say, hey, we got to talk to one another. And I, you know, I think they they were trying their best, but I, I don't it was hard for them to make traction, you know? Mm-hmm. Because um I think like one party was like, hey, you know, I, I have I I have certain language and categories that I'm not willing to like back down off of. And the others were like, yo, if you can't even like commit to certain presuppositions, then we can't even like really have a conversation, you know, and, and they didn't really know how to talk to one another. Um, so I think one thing is that I'm seeing is that people don't even really like in our society now don't have even grounds to have conversations with one another, you know? And, uh, and I think at the church, we really got to learn how to do that. Um, I think another dynamic is, is that, man, this, I think as, as church leaders and as as a church, we have um, skipped uh, a really uh, key course in our formation. That's called anger school. You know, mm-hmm. like 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 we have not taught people how to not only just lament and grieve and be sad, but also how to be angry. You know, yeah. um, and so that's something that like I think folks are like. I just like, hey, David, I've never felt this kind of emotion ever before, you know, and uh, I don't like know what to do with this. And the book of Psalms has a lot of courses in anger school. Yeah. And I, that's just anger management and anger suppression. Like, like the, 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 some of the things that the psalmist wrote that God gave us language to say, it's like, God's like, hey, I want you to, you're going to have some violent motivations as a human being in life. And what mm-hmm. I want you to do is articulate that violent motivation uh, to me. I want you to bring that pain. Like when you see somebody as your enemy and you feel like I'm absent from you and I'm not doing anything, that I'm sleeping on this injustice. I want you to like, to, to bring that and just send those, what they call precatory prayers. Those like, mm-hmm. like, 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 you know, kill my enemy's babies kind of prayers. And you're yeah. like, whoa, you're a sick dude. Like, like that's <laughs> in the scriptures, right? Like, yeah. like, you know, and I think that kind of language is really, really important. And so, you know, um, you know, we, our ministry uh, released a song called God Not Guns um, through Urban Doxology is, a, uh, um, is a, one of our ministry expressions. And it's, it's a worship group and gave a, a psalm, a psalm out of Psalms 10. Yeah. Um, to give language. Which to is people. one of those psalms. Yeah, it's one of those psalms, yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, it says we want to lift our hands to God and not guns and curse people to check it out. But, like, it will give folks some language. Like, people need language to be angry before God. And then I think the third uh, space is, man, I walked down um, Monument Avenue and uh, in Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. We have um, a uh, street full of five monuments of Confederate generals who lost the war, right? Wow. So, you know, um, I don't know. It's been a while since I've been to to Buffalo, but I don't think that the Buffalo Bills, who have lost like three, four different Super Bowl championships, ever got uh, any monuments put up to the (laughs) for losing a Super Bowl, you know. But in Richmond, Virginia, in the South, we had these monuments up, right? Hmm. And, uh, man, it was a riot, you know, all this weekend in Richmond, Virginia. And so I just walked down Lightman Avenue to kind of bear witness to what was happening. And um, there's a lot of vandalism done to those monuments. And there's this term called blight that just made me think about this, you know. Um, and, you know, blight, they talk about, like, if, if, if that, it's this idea the way I hear it oftentimes is that, like, there's something that will kind of, take away the value or even kind of corrupt or maybe even disease disease this like um a, a life-giving thing and so because this this monument avenue is one of the wealthiest parts of of uh, richmond mm-hmm. and because the monuments have 
been vandalized if they keep the graffiti and those obscenities on that monument that would be considered blight and the value of that property would go down so most likely the city would clean that up mm-hmm. so there's one level of blight of looking at like what's all the monuments but then there's another level of blight of what the monuments represent right yeah you know and, and it's like are people concerned about the blight of the symbol of racism and i realize that like for some people that might not even be considered racism um it might be um you know it might be not just that it's racism it could be um uh uh people's like heritage of their family and the kind of narratives that we tell like ourselves when you know our families have lost you know a lot of stuff so i want to be empathetic to that that everybody who supports confederates aren't necessarily being racist they just you're defending your family it's like if your mom's an alcoholic you know you maybe can call her alcoholic, but I, I can't call her an alcoholic, right? And I think mm-hmm. there's a little sense in there. But that's one form of blight, though, right? Like, of, like, what the symbol of what that means. Then, I mean, there's another blight of, like, our history and our story of racism, you know? And and, and I think the disease behind that is the fact that says that some people are more valuable than other people. Yeah. And, and that's what our country has said for hundreds of years, you know? And so it was legislated that way. It was economically incentivized in that way and it was legislated and it became part of our cultural ethos and so we have to ask ourselves like you know what it took centuries to build and it's only been five decades to try to make a corrective to it Hmm. and that's a a disease kind of blighted scenario but then it just even hit me to another level as I was just looking at that monument that there's another disease and that's the disease of redemptive of the myth of redemptive violence Mm. that we believe that redemptive change can happen through violence. And oftentimes we're against violence, like when it happens to us, but we tend to be for violence when we think it's for us, Mm. whatever that is, you know, and no matter how you look at, the uh scriptures you chop it up jesus never really um just did like he he never committed an act of violence against anybody else he's always discouraged act of violence you might say he, he did express anger in the temple and he flipped over tables he did express grief by crying over the city as being a, a sheep without a shepherd but but when it came time for jesus to take up the sword and to commit violence against people or his people to do it. He never did it. And, it, and he, he had one, so at least one soldier, I mean, one disciple that was strapped and ready to go. So, <laughs> yeah. so Peter started cutting off cat's ears when he came with his boy, but he still, he healed him. He said, hey, you know, he healed the, that Roman soldier and said, um, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Yeah. He also had another zealot, a zealot that was against the system. You also had like, a, um, you know, the tax collector who was, you know, even back then people didn't like the IRS, you know? And so, right, yeah. you know, he, he, he had a very, of the system. yeah, yeah, beneficiary. So, so you see that like Jesus didn't create these type of tribalism. That's a very um, significant um, aspect of what we do in our culture today. And so the way Jesus, the only act of violence you see is that, you know, the Roman government, um, executed him and love, justice, mercy, grace was all brought in this particular space. And this is our model. You know, this is who we're, we're modeling after this. And this is how resurrection power was enacted, you know, was through this, uh, suffering that happened. And so I think, um, as Christians, we gotta, we gotta offer some different alternative that's really rooted and some different imagination. And so I'll, I'll close with this, like leading to redemptive suffering and like kind of death and resurrection for the Christian, it, death leads towards resurrection, you know? And so there, there can't be reconciliation without resurrection, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, it, and, and I think there's a way that we have to engage in the world as Christians that is willing to do whatever we have to do to suffer for what is right 
to speak truth to power, to uh, but but to do things, uh, we, when we grieve as we're grieving right now, we don't grieve as those without hope. We grieve with those as hope, with with hope, because mm-hmm. of what, what people who believe in the res- that both the incarnation and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so um, somehow that that has to inform the way that we engage in the world, and in the way that we engage with the situation. Yeah, thank you, man. That was good. That was a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I, I'm really interested in the, that idea of redemptive suffering because it is as absurd right now as it was when Jesus went to the cross, yep. you know. And so I would love if you would speak to white brothers and sisters within the church and people of color within the church and just say, how would you counsel each of those groups of people in a moment like this? What, what might it look like? to take up our cross at uh, at a moment like the one that we're in. So could you kind of speak to each of those groups? Because, you know, the posture I'm assuming would be quite different for each of those groups right now. Yeah. Well, I think um, one of the things that kind of informs me and informs us at Airbnb about this is Philippians 2. It says that Jesus, you know, um, not like consider itself robbery, both being God to basically come into the form of his creation and uh, and was willing to be obedient even to the point of death, you know? And so I, I think there's some different ways of thinking about this. Um, one is, um, I'm just gonna kind of address people of color in this space. One gift that you have is that you know what it's like, like Jesus, was the form of God, but didn't choose to come as a Roman citizen that was a beneficiary of the empire, but came as mm-hmm. like a a, a a Jew that was a second class citizen, like like kind of black folks in the Jim Crow, you know? And so Jesus decided to live incarnationally through that way. And I think that gives you some insights and like the folks that Jesus spent time with were those who were on the margins. And so I think that, um, a lot of the revelation of how God works is through the unexpected places, you know? And so I want to definitely encourage you. It doesn't necessarily mean just because you're a person of color that you um, automatically have a special insight about God, but if you could understand the way that Jesus operated, well, at least the scriptures have always like looked to the least of these and to the, and kind of given this kind of revelation, um, you know, the Israel uh, Israelites in the midst of Egypt, like, you know, that kind of like looking at that lens can help you to see some things and see kind of how Jesus gave tools in the way that Jesus lived, you know. Um, and I, I would really encourage you to, to, be, to like search the scriptures and see how did God give instructions on like how to live and how to deal with this kind of craziness that we're, we're in. Um, yeah. I mean, I I can just say, even speaking as a white American male, I remember reading for the first time, Howard Thurman's Christ and the disinherited, which is interacting with Jesus from the perspective of a slave in the American South. Yep. And just being stunned at all that I missed having devoted my life to reading the gospels all that i missed because i see it through my lens of economic progress and you know um i I guess being on the beneficiary end of the spectrum i'm reading that into page after page after page just so to see it read through very different eyes than mine i just got a stunning new revelation of jesus reading that book Yep. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's Jesus and the disinherited, you know, that's, um, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a, uh, really, really, really great, great book. And, and even, um, Brian Zahn did an article called the problem I have with the Bible that that's a really great, um, article that I would highly recommend if you're a white person to check out. But, um, I would say particularly person of color, I would say like, kind of taking some wisdom it's been a long time since i rode on a plane plane um and they would say hey uh, just in case we lose um uh, oxygen and air pressure 
put your oxygen mask on first before you try to get somebody else, you know? And I think like, I don't think they made that up themselves. Then Jesus says, you know, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And so there has to be a, a certain level of self-love in order to love a neighbor, right? And mm-hmm. I think like, try to do what you can do to take care of yourself as a person of color in this particular space. You know, you might not have the grace to educate white people, you know, and like, and you don't have to be mad about it or anything like that or feel pressured. Like you may have the grace, you might not have the grace. Like, I mean, this is, this is work that God has kind of called me into, but everybody doesn't have the same type of grace. And so make sure you put your oxygen mask on. And then even for me, there's certain practices that I do to not, um, to, to not allow my oxygen mask to be on. You know, I mean, I'm sorry, to, to, to not allow myself to, um, uh, uh, um, to, uh, there's certain practices that I have in order to stay in the long haul of this type of work, you know, yeah. in, in, in order for me to put my oxygen mask on so that I can be helpful to other people. And so I, I just would encourage folks to to do that, to be on a long haul. Like for one thing, I, I don't spend a lot of time on social media. I don't spend a lot of time watching the news. Um, I, people kind of tell me what's going on. I may try to look into a little bit, but man, I find like when I spend time watching the media and the news, I feel apocalyptic and like, you know, like the world's about to come to the end and it's just not good for my soul. So, so I definitely recommend take care of your soul. Um, for white brothers and sisters, what I would encourage you all to do is um, definitely take a posture on listening, you know, like not just only listening, but learning, you know, yeah. and and um, just realize, like, you know, I mean, society's been set up for you not to see and not to know. And so you have to, like, you just can't go with the current flow of society because for centuries it was designed to kind of, like, to make the suffering of people of color and particularly black people and immigrants, like, um, something for you not to see, you know? Mm-hmm. and I think like what the Good Samaritan teaches us is it gives us eyes to see that person across town that's in an unfortunate situation. And and that's what it means to be like, and us kind of leaning into that, seeing that leaning into that is a way to allow um, the, um, the, the uh, allow us to um, engage in um, um, what it means to be a neighbor, you know, and, and and like uh, uh, to do to love God as we like love our neighbor. I, th- I mean, I think that's true for every Christian. But I think the challenge of this is is that when you kind of live in a white experience in America, it's hard for you to see these things. You know, um, and so I think for everybody, we can again overestimate what we could do in a tweet or even what we could do in a year. We underestimate what we could do over ten years as we kind of move towards being a reconciling community, both in our life and our family in our church and our community of faith and our vocation like like what does it look like for your whatever job you have to use your place of influence like your places of agency to do consistent small acts of uh, redemption and reconciliation in this area over a long period of time you know and like i think that's that's the type of work that i think folks need to to, to begin to have some imagination about. Yeah, I love this drum that you're beating of just like play the long game, play the long game. This took a long time to create. You're not going to break it down overnight. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just a couple questions to wrap up. Uh, one would be, so as this conversation is so at the forefront right now, if you could counsel the church to do one thing this week or to take one posture this week, like what is the first step that the church, if people are on the edge of their seat saying, we want to be a reconciling community, is there a like, okay, st- start here? Yeah, I think one of the things I would say is um, I think we need to lament. I think is one thing to kind of feel the feels, you know, mm-hmm. um, to bring that before God, to make space. Um, for that um when you listen to like a lot of the psalms um you know a lot of psalms say um god this is really messed up god this is really messed up god don't you see this are you blind like what's happening you know mm-hmm. and it's like one psalm is like but i trust god 
you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and I think making that change is really, uh, really, really important to kind of be able to get there. But realize, I mean, like, you ultimately know that you're trusting God because you're talking to God in this situation. But don't feel like you got to, like, get to that praise really quick. Or if you're from the Black Church experience, get to that shout, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's, it's okay to kind of sit in there for a minute, you know? Um, um, but, like, that is a thing that you you need to to lead into is like the lament, the anger, the feels, like all of the things. And like, know that God, like my friend Michelle Higgins says, God is not fragile. God can take all of that heat, you know? Then out of that, God's going to speak to you, you know? Like the arc of the universe is long, uh, I mean, uh, but it's bent towards justice, you know? And mm-hmm. so it's because it's moving towards resurrection, it's moving towards the reconciling of all things. And then began to kind of say, hey, God, like, what's the step of faithfulness that I can kind of move towards? And so, you know, for you all, spending time on race class kingdom of God is a real important thing to do, you know. And, and, and like, take this as a catalytic moment to move towards a trajectory um, in, in your life, not just like, hey, let me do something to feel better now, you know. Um, that's the thing that I would encourage folks to do, but, but like, to move towards a trajectory and see how, how can I integrate this as a faithful practice over my period of life. Yeah, thank you. And I do want to give you the opportunity just to give a quick sales pitch because you could probably do a lot better one than me. But, you know, we're we're a church that is, you know, a, about to be schooled by your material. Um, so can you just tell us what, what can we expect? What can we expect in terms of teaching, in terms of conversation, in terms of equipping? What can we expect if someone's listening to this, like, eh, I might make time for it. You know, what would you say? Yeah. So, so the thing I would say is, um, you know, if you're trying to, I think it's a real important thing to one be, um, for Christians to be the most knowledgeable of this topic, you mm-hmm. know, and to bring this level of depth and understanding and study to this um, before God and really understand how does God, um, work like in this space and what's God trying to break through and do in this space. So I think that's one thing that I would really kind of like say that I think this is a really significant priority because people are going to ask you and you're going to have an opinion or not have an opinion. Like, like you're going to have something that have to be said and you need to be prepared, you know? And so that's one thing I would say this particular study series, race class kingdom of God, it was designed in a way to give everybody on ramp, whether you are, you know, you've been woke for years or you're just waking up, like, you know, yeah. it's, and, and you don't have to be an expert in this. Matter of fact, we encourage people not to be an expert, but to kind of bring your experience to kind of wrestle through and to kind of dialogue. And, and so this is like, it's also video. You don't have to read any kind of books. It's, you know, you got these like 18 minute to, you know, nine minutes, kind of like Ted talk type of things and you dialogue. So it's a very good on ramp for your community. And I would say definitely like start there. And then um, our ministry has a lot more stuff that we do that's in person. You experience some of that, Tyler, but um, mm-hmm. we're actually moving to move, work to put that on um, some of these resources like online or provide some online um, opportunities. And so I would say definitely um, get in contact with our ministry, you know, and, um, you know, I'll also say, you know, if, if, if you find this ministry helpful, support this ministry, you know, like we, you know, this is what we do every day, whether this is on the news or not, you know, mm-hmm. and we're trying to come alongside ministries like um, y'all's church and, and uh, other folks around the country trying to give folks the tools to kind of ask the question, what's it like to be a reconciled community, wherever it is that you live. Yeah. And, and I can just say as the pastor of this church, whatever trust I've gained in your life over, the, yeah. over time, I have a vivid memory of sitting underneath your teaching, David, in Chicago and being on a flight home with tears rolling down my face because of the way that you explained history through a Monopoly board. And I still like I still remember that and just being shaken to my core in a way that I have not yet recovered from and I hope to not recover from. So I I would just say to the people of our church. This is worth your time. You are sitting at home in quarantine watching Netflix. Watch this instead. 
yeah, and, and have some conversations with us. David, to close, man, I, I was hoping that you'd be willing just to pray over us as a church. Yeah, for sure. Um, to pray over people that listen to this. We're a community that's longing to be on the front lines of racial reconciliation. We are also a community that is filled with unconscious bias. We've got crazy blind spots. We are wildly imperfect. Yeah. Um, and so we pray for us, man. Yeah, likewise, man. And definitely, um, we don't get rid of our, uh, we, we find different types of blind spots. We don't get rid of our biases, but um, um, we, we can learn how to manage it the more that we, we learn, right? And the more that we can, um, I mean, it's just like, we, we get justified through Christ, but um, sanctification is a, a long, lifelong process, right? And yeah. I think this is true in this particular area. So I'm going to pray for, um, pray for you all, but I'm also particularly, particularly pray for like, four types of emotions that tend to come up when we have these conversations. Uh, one is uh, anger. Some people are like dealing with anger and uh, the Bible doesn't say, don't be angry. It says, as soon as you're going to be angry at some point, but don't sin. And so I'm just going to be praying for folks in that area. Um, I'm also praying for folks that uh, you could be dealing with grief. And that's something that's really important. Uh, grief. Then the third um, space is uh fear and this fear of like the unknown or fear of like maybe hurting somebody else again or and then the other thing is um shame you know mm-hmm. and and this is true if you're a person of color or a white person like all of these emotions are like there and so um you know these are complicated emotions and and we want to i want to pray to god you you would meet god in that space that if you kind of like identify that and and uh try to lean in with the lord in that space all right, let's pray. Yeah. Uh, so, Lord, I just thank you so much for Tyler, and I thank you for Trinity Grace and just the church. And I just pray like that you would uh, just just go through a process of like, uh, you know, you got our attention. You know, uh, you got our attention as a country, um, and in various types of ways. And I just pray that you would uh, lead and guide us uh, on how to be faithful, and particularly this church as they're committed to this particular location and really committed to the work of. Um, being a diverse church, but every diverse church isn't necessarily uh, a, a, a reconciling church. Mm. I pray, Lord, that this community, no matter how diverse or diverse they are or not, that they will become a reconciling community that will continue to grow in the sanctification process or the spiritual formation process of being transformed more and more in the likeness of Christ and a partner of Christ and the reconciling of all things. But there's some brothers and sisters right now that are just dealing with a lot of grief, uh, a lot of anger, uh, a lot of shame, and, and and even maybe some fear is going on. But I pray that you would help them to those who deal with anger to, to to not allow that anger to turn into bitterness, to to be infected, but to um, to like the scripture says, be angry but do not sin. That that anger would channel into some type of redemptive power. I pray, Lord, that. Um, those are dealing with grief that, you know, that you're near to the brokenhearted, that you would like remind them of like kind of what's happening and that they would uh, uh, kind of go through these various stages of grief, but, and that you would meet them in every stage of it. But Lord, I pray that you would um, help them to, to heal and to be able to see you in the midst of that. Lord, I pray for those that are dealing with shame right now. Uh, there's a lot of white people that just shame of just being white. And, and I think the challenge of it is, is that because the fact like, like, you know, like they say, I don't know who discovered water, but I know what the fish because that's who they were, what they were swimming in. I mean, some of us just realizing that, oh, like whiteness is a thing. And, and it's a thing that kind of historically hasn't meant something. But Lord, I pray that it hasn't meant something that was like positive. But I pray, Lord, that you help them to see like you, that there's nothing on this earth that's not redeemable. And so Lord, I pray that you would kind of help them to get a redemptive lens of uh, uh, what is it you're trying to do. And so, Lord, I pray uh, just shame and fear that, that, that is like paralyzing them, that you would help them to kind of see this and to lean in. Uh, and last, Lord, I pray for those who just fear that they're either scared to hurt somebody else or scared of what could happen to them or, or fear of the unknown or just, I mean, Lord, I just pray anxiety, like any, just, just come against all of that in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would bring healing and love, right? Like, like, like perfect love cast out fear. So I'm gonna see what the lie is of the enemy. Um, help them to 
to see kind of where you are and that you're with them, that you, though you go through the valley of shadow of death, you're there because, uh, um, you know, you, you don't fear any evil. Like you, you are the good shepherd that's with us in every way and every position that we're in. So Lord, I just pray that you would just be with them. And I pray for this, for Trinity Grace's church as they go through the race class game of God, that they would, um, it, it would be a catalytic moment for them that they would get more of imagination what does it look like to be a reconciled community. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. David, thank you for your time, brother. Yeah. I'll continue to pray for you this week, man. Please do. Please do. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. Peace. Blessings. is Janice and I help organize Heaven to Earth. So right now we find ourselves again in an urgent moment of national reckoning. Our eyes are wide open to systemic injustices and violence that Black people must endure. As believers and as children of God, it's our responsibility to come together and make space for Black people to place our efforts into unlearning racism and pursuing justice. This is where heaven to earth comes in. Our vision is unity and multiculturalism within our church, and we can't get there until we dismantle racism and the institutionalized forces that keep it in play. When I attended the very first heaven to earth event before I got involved with planning it, it was one of the first times I've entered a Christian space dedicated to racial reconciliation. As an Asian woman, I felt really strange and uncomfortable at times navigating that space. But I think that was truly the first time when it clicked for me that racial reconciliation, justice and equality, like all of that is inseparable to who God is. And also that God truly longs for his church body to bring that aspect of heaven down to earth. Initially, all of this was just theory to me. Um, I told myself like, oh, God is invested in justice and like I can see it in Jesus's life and all that, but I don't really see the church as a key player and so I'm gonna seek social justice through these other outlets. What God has helped me realize is that church is a place to be having these difficult conversations, to process and lament and grow and extend love. And you know, this also came with the realization that our church family has a long way to go. But I really do feel God wanting this so badly for us. And the fact that we can't gather in person is not enough to stop us from working towards this vision. All of us planning, we've spent the last few weeks putting together this next installment of Heaven to Earth, a six-week Arabon course called Race, Class, and the Kingdom of God. We wanted to accommodate as many people as possible, so every week for six weeks starting on June 15th, we'll be holding two weekly sessions, one on Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and the other on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. This will be held through Zoom. We'll always start with prayer and then the Arabon curriculum will take us through a few videos along with opportunities for discussion in smaller groups. I'd really, really love for you to join us, whether it's your first time actually contending with racial inequality or whether this is something that has been weighing on your heart for a long time. With all this, I'll land here. Allyship is a process. I don't think anyone can be a perfect ally all the time, so it's okay to be intimidated and to make mistakes. There's room for grace and forgiveness and mercy, but I believe that we can certainly try to be the best allies we can be by coming together as a community to pray, heal, learn, and fight for justice and mercy together. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope to see you there. Hi. 
Hi, it's Meg, and here's what else you need to know this week. We have developed a book called Bread that we're using as a community beginning June 21st to read through the New Testament together in a year. Bread is the same acronym for engaging with scripture that we've been using this trimester in our community groups. We have intentionally created paper copies to create spaces in our day when we're not engaging with our devices for you to use alongside a paper Bible. Several artists from our community have designed covers for us, so you can select whichever cover you like. If you have not ordered your copy, please do so soon, as shipping prices increase the closer we get to the 21st. To order, please visit tgcwilliamsburg.com backslash community. As Janice shared, our Heaven to Earth series is back for the summer and joining forces with Arabon. Join us for a six-week course called Race, Class, and the Kingdom of God, covering the biblical ground on how to become a reconciling community in a world torn by racial and economic divides. We'll have two class options, the Monday night group at 8 p.m. or the Wednesday night group at 7 p.m. The series begins on June 15th. We highly encourage you to commit to the six weeks as the series teachings build upon each other as the weeks progress. Head to tgcwilliamsburg.com backslash heaven to earth to sign up. I also want to share with you about our crisis care team. First, thank you to all of our deacons and leaders who've given countless hours to ensure that our community received care. Second, thank you to all who gave to the crisis care fund. Your generosity allowed people within our community to pay for rent, bills, groceries, emergency travel, and therapy sessions. Third, thank you for everyone who reached out seeking care, allowing us to be the church and walk alongside you. As we move into the summer, COVID-19 guidelines have become the new normal. We know that many of you are still affected due to illness or job loss. Your church family is still here, wanting to provide the same care as before. If you need financial assistance, our deacons funds will be available. And as we continue to serve our community partners and our friends in Brooklyn, we will be using our justice fund for all financial support. If you need financial help, please visit tdcwilliamsburg.com backslash generosity ministries. To give to both the deacons or justice fund, please visit tdcwilliamsburg.com backslash give.